2 Timothy chapter number 1. Since we're just here this morning, let me give you a little background for the the passage and the text. Paul is coming to the end of his life. As you know, he wrote like 13 epistles, 13 letters. This is the very last epistle, the last letter that he writes. He is coming to the end of his life. He knows that his, his life is coming to an end and more than likely he will be martyred at the hands or the commands of Nero who has targeted Christianity. And since Paul is kind of the face of Christianity at the time. He is the prime target. And he is at this time in prison in Rome. Uh, You will remember as he wrote Philippians, he was also in a prison in Rome, but in a very different situation than he is here. Uh, In Philippians, it was kind of a come and go type of thing, very kind of loose. Here, he's coming to the end of his life. He's surrounded by darkness, disease, and, and he believes with all his heart that death is just around the corner for him. But it's fascinating to me as you read this chapter, as you read this text, to realize and to notice that what is on Paul's mind is not the darkness, it is not the disease, it is not the death, but it is that the, the, the passion that the gospel would go beyond his life. He knows that his life is coming to an end, and so what is on his heart and his mind is that the gospel go beyond him. He was a very gospel-driven person, and so as he comes to write this last letter, he doesn't write it to a church. Instead, he writes it to a young man named Timothy, who was his son in the faith, and so he says in verse number one, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, let's do so. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, uh, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, speaking to Timothy, it is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou, therefore, I want you just to imagine Paul talking to Timothy, his son in the faith. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Timothy, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who will keep that which he has committed? Which he has promised he will complete that. Father, as we come again to your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would put ourselves in the place of Timothy this morning. Underneath the teaching and the admonition of the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only to Paul, but to all 
Christians who would follow him. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts with, for each teacher that's with us, for each that is influencing the next generation, for every parent, for every grandparent. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts for every young person in this room, that they would realize the responsibility that they have been given to carry the gospel. We pray this all in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, and entered by way of introduction in the first five verses, before we kind of dive into the heart of the text, I think it is important to notice in the first five verses that, that Paul is really trying to convey his love and his appreciation for his son in the faith, Timothy. And while he is doing so, he is wanting Timothy to know that the gospel must be the center of all that we do. And he is at the end of his life. How many of you know that the words of a dying man are, are typically important words to remember? I thought back this week in studying this of my mentor. You've heard me talk about him many times, Shane Lewis, who at the age of 50 got leukemia. He was very sick the week before his death, but it was Sunday afternoon. He had not preached that morning. He had been too weak to preach. But he told Miss Joy, sitting in, in there in home in the afternoon, he said, I need you to help me get dressed. I've got to go talk to our church family tonight. That would be the last time that he ever preached to the church family at Somerville Baptist Church. The recording of his message, but in that recording, one of the last statements that Shane Lewis ever made to his church just grasping for breath, he said this, it's always about Jesus. It's always about the gospel. Always, always, always. I have it on a little plaque in my office because church, listen, Satan is great at getting us distracted from the main thing. And we have to come back to realize that the, the main thing is not the finances. The main thing it is not the, the chairs and the decor of our church. The main thing must always be Jesus and the gospel. It must be the center. It must be the thing that we live for, the thing that we breathe for. And that is what Paul wants to convey to his son in the faith, Timothy, that God has called all of us to carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the fact that, that Timothy is not Paul. He's not Paul's personality he is young, Paul is old, and yet it is Timothy who God has called to carry on the ministries of the Apostle Paul. He didn't grow up the same way as Paul did. It's, it's obvious from the text that it seems like his father is absent from his life. His grandmother and his mother had great influence, and no doubt Paul was his father figure. But Timothy was perhaps like a lot of us. Not as out front, not as loud, not as courageous, uh, more content behind the scenes, kind of quiet. So in Paul's last challenge to his son in the faith, there is something that he wants him to get into his heart, into his mind. And that is that if there's one thing worth us getting uncomfortable with or getting uncomfortable about, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing that message with people. Say, I'm shy, I'm backwards, and honestly, I am too. When I get out around people, I have the same fears that you have, humanly speaking. But there is one thing that is worth us giving, getting out of our comfort zone for, and that is the eternal souls of men and women. 
So three times, verse 8, verse 12, verse 16. Three times in this chapter, Paul mentions being unashamed of Christ in the gospel message. Verse 8, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chain. Now this entire epistle, this entire letter is a call to Timothy personally, but also to every generation of Christians that would follow Timothy collectively to be courageous and gospel-focused. It is, in essence, what Paul would write in Romans 1 and verse 16 when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is a call for a life that is centered around the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or as Paul would write, for me to live is Christ. He is the center of it all. And I think it's important for us to note that in the introduction in verses 3, 4, and 5 that Paul uh, shows to Timothy, first of all, his appreciation for him in verse number 3. He thanks God for him. And then in verse number 4, he shows his affection to him, that he loves him, that he is his dearly beloved son. And then also he shows his affirmation to him in verse number five. Uh, No doubt Timothy needed some affirmation. And I can understand this because a lot of the courage and strength that I got as a young man came from a Paul in my life, which was my, my own father. Much of the strength spiritually that I gained was from him. But listen, I think this is so important because it's important for the older generation to do these things to the, to the younger generation. It's important for us to affirm them. It's, a, it's important for us not to look at them and say, man, you guys are just, uh, you're just so different than our generation and there's so many different things about you and you're always on your phones and this and that and we don't like the way you're, you dress. Listen, I am thankful for a church full of young people who may not do everything just like we did it, but they love Jesus, they love the gospel, and they're giving their hearts for it. And what they need is a a generation before them that will say, we believe in you. We're proud of you. And and we're behind you and we're cheering you on. And we're not sitting here nitpicking everything about you, but we love you and we support you. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing with Timothy. He's affirming him. He's showing appreciation. He's showing affection for him. And these are very simple thoughts, but this is Paul's message to Timothy. All right? This is the Holy Spirit's message to you and I. What is Paul telling him? What is, what is God telling us? First of all, Paul is telling him, Timothy, remember your responsibility. Remember your responsibility. Verse number six. If, if he were writing this today in our, in our language, he might say this. Get a grip, Timothy. Get a grip on what you are supposed to be doing. And I think if Paul were here today, he would be giving us this same challenge. Remember your responsibility. Somebody has said, and I think that they're right, that if the Apostle Paul was alive today, that the Church of America would be getting a letter. I think that's probably true. Because we've become so distracted, we have become so enamored by... American culture, Christianity, we've been so 
sidelined and sidetracked and distracted by not, not bad things, good things, but it's taken us away from the best thing, the most important thing. Here's the question this morning for all of us, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you work in the the work world, what is our personal role in the mission of God? Paul is reminding Timothy to stay focused on what God has called him to, to do and what he has prepared him for. Why are we here why are we here? Why are we not already experiencing the presence of God? I say this often to you. I remind you again this morning that we are here and we are in this community because tomorrow we are going to be dispersed and we are going to go throughout this community into different places. And we need to remember as we do that, that we all have a responsibility. As we like to say, we, like to, we need to turn everyday conversations into what? Gospel conversations. That our life is centered around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no doubt that Timothy felt unqualified. Would you like to take over Paul's ministry? Those are big shoes to fill. No doubt he felt unqualified. But, but, but aren't you glad that it's not the qualified that God calls, but he qualifies those he calls? It's not the qualified. 1 Corinthians tells us, reminds us that it's usually not the elite. It's usually not the noble, usually not the, the mighty, usually not the wise according to the flesh. But it is the weak. It is the simple Faithful is he who called us, who also will do it. You see, what he's saying is, Timothy, the greatest ability that you have, you don't have to be me, you don't have to be Paul. Listen, it was a good day for me in ministry when I realized I didn't have to be Kenny Baldwin, I didn't have to be C.T. Townsend, I didn't have to be my dad, that God called me to be me. That God can use me, just like I am, with all my weaknesses. And God wants to use you. And what he wants Timothy to know is you don't have to be me. The greatest ability is availability. The greatest ability is surrender and saying, God, I am yours. Or as Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 8, here am I, send me. All of us in this room, and I don't have time to dive into it, but all of us have been given the responsibility and the ministry of reconciliation 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and 18, which means if you have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been given the responsibility to show others how they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember our responsibility. Who's your one? We haven't talked about that in a long time, but that is our theme, and that is our question This year, and maybe you've kind of lost sight of that. Who's your one? Who's the person at your work? Young people, who's the person in school that God has put on your heart already that you need to share the gospel with that you haven't yet because of fear? Remember your responsibility. What place of service has God called you to in this local church that fear has kept you from doing? Remember our responsibility. Our courage and boldness 
begins, first of all, with a recognition and a confidence that God has called us to an eternal purpose. The second thing that Paul wanted to tell Timothy, number one, Timothy, remember your responsibility, your calling, what God has called you to do. But secondly, Timothy, rely on divine resources. I know that you're not me. I know that you feel weak. I know that you feel inadequate. So he says in verse number seven, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now this became the life verse of COVID, didn't it? You you saw this everywhere. You go online and you would see people quoting this verse. And certainly it applies to any type of fear that we may have, that Satan may put in our hearts, a fear of a doctor's visit, a fear of whatever you're facing. But I want you to remember that in the context that it was written, it was specifically talking about our fears that we face when sharing the gospel with other people. Anybody in here like me that sometimes you know God wants you to speak to somebody, but fear overcomes you? Maybe guilt overcomes you? So Paul says here, rely on divine resources God has not given us literally when it comes to sharing the gospel when it comes to being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ Timothy God's not given us the spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind he in other words he didn't just give us a responsibility he equipped us to do what he called us to do He didn't tell us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't tell us to to, to proclaim the gospel message and and then say, I want you to go do this, but I'm going to infuse you, Peter, with timidity and fear. No, he said, I'm going to give you this responsibility, and I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to give you power that's supernatural beyond you. I'm going to give you love that's beyond you. And I'm going to give you a sound mind or a disciplined mind that is beyond you. Let's look quickly at those three things. First of all, he says he has given a supernatural power. In other words, he's not called you to be a dynamic personality. He has called you to carry a dynamic message. When he left this earth in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, he said this, Ye shall receive power dynamite, dynamic energy, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For what purpose? Why are you going to do this? So that you can be my what? Witnesses. That's what this power is for. This power is so that we will be his witnesses. Ephesians 1 and verse 18 through 20 reminds us what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. I mean, how much power do we have? According to the working of his mighty power, which was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. How many of you know it took a lot of power for Jesus to get up out of that grave and walk out? He says, you and I have the same power. The same power, the song says, that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural power. Secondly, he says supernatural love. He's equipped us with supernatural love. How many of you know that some people are more difficult to love than other people? Why were you pointing at Junior, Cindy? (laughs) Okay. She picks at me, so I have to pick back. Some people are harder to love. That person at your job who just constantly curses Christ and 
and gives you the hardest time. The person at school, young people, that, that just constantly mocks God. God says, I'll give you supernatural love, the ability beyond yourself to love those that are unlovable. Those that curse our God, those that are bent on destroying Christianity, those that would just assume plant a bomb in this church and blow us up, then to eat their next meal. God loves them as much as he loves us. God has... God wants to save them. By the way, the man who wrote this was a terrorist of Christians before he was saved. He hated Christians. And God radically saved his life. And he understood what he was writing about when he says God has given us supernatural love. In fact, he writes in Romans 5, 5, that hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Christ-like or perfect or mature love casts out fear. And that causes us to really evaluate our love for Jesus Christ. Do we really love him? Because if we really love him the way that we should, it'll make us do unnatural things for him. It'll make us get out of our comfort zone. I, I've said it before. I'm, I'm deathly scared of, sh- of sharks. I love the ocean. I love to go to the beach. I love to be out in boats. But I'm deathly scared of sharks. So if we were in the ocean and there was a, a group of sharks that were in the water, I would not be getting into the water. I would not be diving there. But if one of my children were to fall in, or at least my daughter were to fall in, I don't know about this guy, but I know about her. <laughs> that the love that I had for her would overshadow my fear of sharks. And that's what he's saying. This perfect love casts out fear. It'll help you overcome the fear when you fall more in love with Jesus. He says, I'll give you this supernatural love. I'll give you this supernatural power and then a sound mind. This is, that, this is the ability, this... This ability, the supernatural ability that God gives us to prioritize eternal things over temporal things. We allow the Holy Spirit to be the divine organizer in our life. This is the supernatural ability that God gives us to seek first, the kingdom of God. He says, remember your responsibility. Rely on your resources. Thirdly, he says, Timothy, ready yourself for rejection. Go ahead, and, go ahead and ready yourself now because everybody's not going to accept your message. Paul was not afraid of rejection, but again, Timothy was a very different personality. And many of us know that the reason that we don't invite somebody, the reason that we don't share the gospel, the reason we don't have that conversation is because of the fear of rejection. It is one of the greatest tools of the enemy to keep us from doing 
all that God has called us to do. So here is Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he is calling him to a level of dedication that is willing to join him in his suffering. It is a call to unashamed identification with Jesus Christ. It means that you're not afraid to wear your Christian t-shirt to school. It, It means that you're not afraid to carry your Bible on top of your books. It means you're not afraid at your workplace to let everybody know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It is unashamed identification with Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that I think that the Church of America would be getting a letter from the Apostle Paul is because we have too many secret service Christians. Undercover. In fact, you might even see somebody in church on Sunday that you would be embarrassed that they saw you in church. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I'm calling on you to ready yourself for rejection. Notice again, verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know what he's calling Timothy to do? Hey, Timothy, put the acceptance and the approval of God above the acceptance and approval of man. Ready yourself for rejection. This is what he was telling the people and the Christians in 1 Peter who were scattered because they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter writes to them in chapter 4 of the first epistle, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Notice this, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are Partners of Christ's suffering. Partakers of his suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. Let me ask us this morning, to what extent are we willing, I won't even ask you to what extent are we willing to die for Christ. How about this one? To what extent are you willing to live for Jesus? To bear his name. To be his testimony, to be unashamed. I have said it before, but it is a crying shame when I look at some Christians' social media pages and it is political push after political push after political push and not once on there have they shared the name of Jesus Christ. I don't care how conservative you are. That is a great distraction away from our main responsibilities. And you are not being obedient to God by promoting conservative politics. Nothing wrong with that. But if that is all you do, and you do that more than you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Satan has got us distracted. Focus on something that might be good, but it's not the best. Well, let me just go ahead and say it. Donald Trump isn't going to save anybody's soul from eternal hell. Neither is any of the rest of them. Only Jesus Christ can do so. We need strong faith. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to know. Young people, you need to have strong faith because the truth is you may take the brunt of the persecution that happens in this country. Which is why in chapter 2, look at it, chapter 2 and verse number 1, he tells Timothy, 
be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. More I want to say there, but I'm going to go on. Lastly, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, remember your responsibility. Timothy, rely on your divine resources, not on your own strength. Ready yourself for rejection. And then lastly, reflect on our redemption. Verses 9 and 10. Who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. These are some of the most comprehensive verses on the doctrine of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you may be trusting your works. You may be trusting uh, some prayer that you said with your lips, but you didn't mean with your heart. If you're trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ, then I beg of you this morning not to leave without putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of works, he says. It's not something that we can work up. Jesus took our sin on the cross and he gave us his righteousness. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. And if you will by faith believe in him and call on him, you will be saved. uh, Paul rehearses these doctrines of salvation, but it's not for instruction, all right? That's not why he's reviewing this. It is for motivation. He says, Timothy, remember your responsibility. Rely on your resources and ready yourself for rejection. How are you and I going to do that? That's a tall order. How are we going to do it? Paul says, when you come to the place where you know God wants you to be his witnesses and his ambassadors and fear is overcoming you, remember your redemption. Let me say that again. Remember you were on your way to hell, but because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have a promise of heaven. Remember that you did not deserve it and that that works could not give it to you. But because of the mercy and grace of God, you can lay your head at night knowing that if you take your last breath, you will be in the presence of God. This is the great motivator to speak and to live unashamedly, a gospel-centered life, a life that is marked by generosity, a life that is marked by faithfulness, a life that is marked by love and right priorities, a life that is marked by commitment and sacrifice. And you've heard me say it before, and I say it again, but the very truth is is that we will come to the end of our lives and we will either say, I wish that I would have. I wish that I would have gotten a hold of that thing in my life. I wish I would have given my heart to Christ. I wish I would have been a better witness or will say, I wasn't perfect. I made a lot of mistakes, but I'm glad that I did. I wish that I would have or I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I put my faith in Jesus. I'm glad I had him to go through this life with me. Jesus won't take away every trial and tribulation and difficulty that you have, but he will go through it with you. And that's a lot better than going through it without him. Remember your redemption. 
Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And young person, I want you to write this verse down. And adult, I want you to write this verse down in Psalm 25 and verse 2. Because this is a prayer that you and I need to pray every single day. In fact, let's say it aloud together. It's on the screen. Let's say it together. Ready? In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. One more time. In thee, O Lord, put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to school, pray that prayer. God, let me not be ashamed of you today. John Huss, a man who left left the Catholic Church because of his belief that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not of works. He was taken to the stake to be burned as a heretic for renouncing the church, renouncing their teachings. And the record says that as he was marched from the prison to the stake, at the top of his lungs, this is what you heard him saying, Psalm 25 and verse 2, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never let me be ashamed. Hey, if people have been willing and are, even today in other countries, willing to die for their faith, can't you and I be willing to live out our faith? How can we, let me ask you something, we're done. How can we have a cure from eternal judgment, eternal damnation, eternal separation from God? How can we have the key that opens the door to freedom or the cure for sin and in good conscience not share that with people? How can we walk by people? How can we go through drive throughs How can we check out at the grocery store? And the Holy Spirit says, give them a track, give them a witness, and just walk out. That's what Paul is saying. Church, remember our responsibility. Rely on the divine resources of God. Ready ourselves for rejection and reflect on our redemption. Remember the next time the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to do it and your flesh says no, remember what you've been saved from. And then ask God, God, give me a little courage. Give me a little strength. Help me not to be ashamed.